Thank you, Brother Bill. Thank you, choir, orchestra, praise band. It's great to have you. Thanks for being in the house of the Lord. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Our series is Genesis Fact or Fiction. Don't forget, if you want to do deeper, we're going to dig deeper. Our college ministry is putting on a grace uh, college ministry podcast. I was actually a guest on that show last week. Pastor Mike, Pastor Brian, uh, Dr. Pointer, several have been on there. And so if you want to dig deeper, we have that through our website or app. Check it out. Let me explain again why it's so important for you to determine is this fact or fiction, what we're studying. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a lens through which they see the world, right? Uh, my favorite sunglasses by far are Costas or Costa Del Mars. I used to be an Oakley's guy. I moved to Florida. I found Costas. They were birthed there. They're incredible for fishing. I love them for driving. I have several pair. I love a particular type of lens with a particular coating. There's one for freshwater. There's one for saltwater. That lens helps me see more clearly, helps me be better at what I like to do. That being said, every one of us have a lens, for most of us, it's going to be one of two lenses. It's going to be a theocentric lens, or we as Christians would say Christocentric lens, looking at the world through Christ, or an anthropocentric lens, okay? Don't go anywhere. Deacons, I just saw some of you. If you did not get your elements, let me say this real quick so they don't have to stand there forever. If you didn't get one of these with the bread in the cup and you would like to take communion, you don't have to be a member of grace. We ask that you be a born-again, baptized believer in Christ. But if you did not get that, slip your hand up. Let them give it to you. Balcony and floor. Slip your hand up. Take a picture of this. I'm going to put this online. This is how many saved today. No, I'm kidding. Uh, um, I do want you to raise your hand. It's okay. I know you're Baptist, but it's okay. It's all right. God loves you too. So put your hand up. Let him give it to you. So let me explain this a little further. If you are looking at a man-centered view with God out of the picture when it comes to creation, you are going to see the world a certain way. If you're looking at with a God-centered or Christ-centered view, you're going to see the world a different way. Now, sometimes we really mess up and we make one lens uh, theocentric and the other lens anthropocentric. So humanistic or theistic, don't do that. That'll make you the most confused of all people. Look at the world through the proper lens. That's not an unscientific lens. Yes, it is a biased lens. It's biased either way you come at it. But if you look at things as divinely designed, created in the image of God, we, everything we see made by the word of the Lord and, and people in particular shaped and fashioned by the hands of almighty God, if you will look at it that way, everything else will begin to align in your life. You will understand better what's up. So the Imago Dei we learned last week, the image of God, it demonstrates his agape to us, his incredible love, matchless, marvelous love. It beautifully displays the value of all people because God made us and we're not the product of time, chance, and matter, natural selection, nor survival of the fittest. We are not primordial slime. We are much more than monkeys because we didn't just come to be over time and chance. What we find is that we matter. So there's no place for the isms, right? No place for racism, sexism, elitism, uh, no place for religious uh, people to think we're better than others. No, no, no. We're all fallen, but we're picked up by Christ. We're forgiven by him. We're giving another opportunity. And so what we know is that there's value for everybody. And this image of God and God creating fundamentally describes a blessing of God's created order. That's why when we're talking about being male and female, it matters. It really matters. I know some people have more of a libertarian bent that say, look, you just do you and I'll just do me. But that's not the way countries work. It's not the way cultures, cultures work. 
If you're going to tell me, I'll just do me, and I'm a boy that wants to use the girl's restroom with your girl, I have a problem with that as a father and a grandfather. I have a problem with these things. And so if you're going to force me to call things by different definitions or to redefine terms, I'm saying, look, we're playing a semantic game that's going to get people hurt. Let's be honest with folks. And what I want you to see from chapter 2, we learn a verse per chapter. We're going to learn Genesis 2.18. What I want you to see is that when God made man and woman, he created them in a complementarian fashion. And it's so beautiful when God says, everything I've created is very good, but this one thing over here, this is not good. And we're going to get to that in a few weeks. But he says over here, this is not good. So let's look at verse 18 together, Genesis 2:18, And you guys just say it with me one time. We'll throw blanks in it in the next few weeks. You ready? Let's say it together. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Some of your translations may say suitable. I actually like that word a little bit better. Meaning this, not from his head, not from his feet, but from his side, I will make a woman equal in every way, value, dignity, worth, yet she will be comparable or suitable. She will be a match. Just like Lego blocks, there's a match, there's a unity where they snap together, they fit properly. And so that is very important. I spoke about that last week in Dig deeper one week before this last Wednesday about the complementarian nature of men and women. So today we're not going to get that far into the chapter, but we're going to take a journey from the big picture of God's creative activity to a more specific focus. And I'm calling the message today, the breath of life, the breath of life. Next week we'll be seeing life in God's garden. This week, the breath of life. In some popular, more liberal circles, it is very common to hear that Genesis 2 is a contradictory account of human creation. But in fact, Genesis 2 is not contradictory at all. It employs a very common literary device, both for ancient Hebrews and even for people living today. Background is sketched first, and then a specific detail is focused in on. Think about a choir that sings, and then a soloist that steps forward into the spotlight. A tour guide exposes for us the panorama of a great mural. And then the guide says, come closer, inspect the details. That's what God is doing. Chapter two in no way contradicts chapter one. But what happens is we're studying the big picture and then we lock in and we focus on the creation of humanity, the pinnacle of God's creative work. It's, it's much like deer hunting. Any of you that have ever been in a deer stand or in a blind, you know that your head's constantly on a swivel. Unless you happen to fall asleep, you're constantly looking. God did not give us the noses he gave of animal kind, particularly things like deer, but he gave us eyes and he gave us ears. And for human beings, I can only focus at one thing at a time. So I don't have eyes over here to see these folks. I have to turn my head. So when I'm in a stand, I'm constantly looking and I'm constantly listening. And then one of two things will catch my my ear or my eye, they'll make me stop. Either something moves or something makes noise. As soon as that happens, I'm locked in. And often because of the way I wear my binoculars, whether I'm bow hunting or otherwise, I'll lift them quickly and I'll see what was that. Now, more times than not, it's something that's fallen or a squirrel or something else, but I'm locked in and I'm saying, okay, now this is what I've been scanning. Now I'm scanning one location. Now I'm at one focus so that I can determine what's going on in that spot to be more effective as an outdoorsman. That's what the Lord is doing here. The Lord is saying, I'm going to show you the big picture. And now we're going to lock in, starting in verse 4, we're going to lock in on people. 
because God's heart is for people. God did everything else on days one, two, three, four, five, and part of day six, he did all of that to prepare for people. I'm gonna get this out of the way now because I've already gotten in trouble with her, so I might as well tell you the story. Years ago, I had a little buddy. His name was Oscar. He was a little robo hamster. A little, have y'all seen those little Russian dwarfs? He was my friend. He sat on my shoulder during college and he kept me company. And he'd run around and he was my little buddy until I met Cindy. And then when I met Cindy, Cindy decided it would be really sweet. Uh, this was, I guess, right after we got married, right? She cleaned his cage one time. Guess what happened to Oscar the very week she cleaned his cage? He went to hamster heaven if there is such a thing, okay? And so I'm not calling you a murderer and I'm not bitter 27 years later. I'm simply saying that when I think back, <laughs> I'd already said it once, I might as well be in trouble two times over. So when I think about little Oscar, here's the deal. I was the guy that, made the, that put him in the enclosure. I was the guy that put the food and the bedding and all of the other stuff in place. And I don't think she really killed him. I think he was just an old hamster, but I, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, I was the guy that put all of that stuff in there and kept it in there and kept him fresh things and threw carrots in and did the water for him. Now listen, folks, we're not hamsters because God's given us free will. God's given us choice. So God doesn't put us in a cage. But you understand here what God is saying is I've created everything you see out here for you. It is for you. And I am a good God who's now placed you here and allowed you to enjoy with free will. And we're going to talk about why free will is so incredibly important to God's created order in the coming weeks. But I'm giving this to you and I want to show you. This is what he does in chapter two. I want to show you how important you are to me. I want to show you why did I have Oscar? Why did I love Oscar? Because I had a relationship with my little buddy. He was my friend. I took care of him. And he brought me pleasure and joy by being my little buddy that would run around and do his little hamstery things. Now, you, you may not like that, but you probably have something you've, you've poured your affection into. And so God is saying, I've made this for you, but now I'm gonna focus in on you for a minute. I want you to know exactly how I formed your parents. I want you to know exactly how I made the first man and the first woman. Let's see that together. Let's at least start. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. One to seven. One to seven. Thus, the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart, because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. So over and over, God did this, God did this. Now God's on a rest. Verse four, this is the history of the heavens and the earth. Now this is God taking it and zooming in. The history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field was, had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. See, it's setting us up. Okay, he hasn't put all those parts in place, but he's getting ready to. But a mist, a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God, now this is again, back now to day six. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I adore this chapter of Scripture. 
as it really gives us insight as to why we are here. What are we doing here? And it goes all the way from you forming and fashioning, molding and making Adam to making a wife comparable to him for putting them together in that beautiful garden. And the more we understand this garden, the more we understand where we will spend eternity as you are renewing and remaking paradise. Help us to remember that this comes right back around to Revelation and the end of the age comes all back. So help us, Lord, to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Teach us and let us apply your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, be seated if you would. So let's just go through the first seven verses. I'm going to go fairly quickly here as we are sort of moving toward a time of, of remembrance on communion. We, we learn that God's work is finished. It's complete. He did exactly what he intended to do. And he had said at the end of, verse, uh, at the end of chapter 1, verse 31, it is very good. But what happens here in the opening verses, it explains to us that God finished his work and he rested. Now, if you're taking notes, jot this down. The Lord did not rest because he needed to, okay? He did not rest because he needed to. He completed his work and presented a pattern for people. God was not weary, he was not weak. He was not weary, so whether you're taking this on paper or on the app or you're just smart enough to keep it in your head, don't forget, God did not rest because he needed to. In fact, as you're writing that down, listen to Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? You may remember that the uh, Baal worshipers were jumping around there at uh, Carmel, and you remember Moses saying, where is your God? Why is your God silent? Could it be that he is asleep? And the Bible is replete with scripture that says, God never slumbers nor sleeps. In fact, Jesus said in John 5, my father has been working until now. I have been working. So it's not that God is resting because he's exhausted, it's because he's showing us a pattern. He's saying that I have made this day for you, this seventh day, as a day of Shabbat. Shabbat is just Hebrew for rest, renewal. He is setting the stage for us. God blessed the seventh day. He set it apart. It's clearly a literal 24-hour day. Now, in the Orthodox Jewish mind, that's from Friday sundown until Saturday sundown. So to this day, for your Orthodox Jew, and, and in fact, even for like your Seventh-day Adventist, the, the Sabbath day is still Friday night to Saturday night. Now for Christians, what we find in the New Testament and what we find in the tradition of the church, almost completely universal, not quite, but almost universal for the last 2,000 years, based on Acts 20, verse 7 and other places, is that there was a specific day of the week they gathered together to worship. That becomes for them like a Sabbath day, though for some of us who work in full-time ministry, it's a little different. But for them, it becomes like a Sabbath day, and that transfers to the first day of the week. God rested on the last day of the week, which of course is Friday, Saturday. That's for us, we just say Saturday. But for Christians today, we often consider Sunday as that Sabbath day, not for everyone. 
Jesus even spoke at times about works of necessity or mercy being done on the Sabbath day. Because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elitists began counting their steps. They said, oh, you can only go so far. They begin to count out all of these little nuances and Jesus is trying to teach them, wait a minute, wait a minute, God made this for you. God made this for your good. It's like you've run all week, now this is your time to recharge. At some point, you gotta put the phone down and plug it in. And sometimes we plug them in and we just keep working, don't we? But the reality is you need a time to recharge. And God is saying, that's what this is for, it is a gift. And I'll be honest with you, this has been one of the hardest commandments for me to keep in my life. Now, it used to be a lot worse because I didn't used to take a day through the week. When I was in seminary, that essentially was my day off. And so I went into the office every day. And the problem is with that, you get where you burn out. Now I get it. If you're wired like me, you'll say, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God doesn't want you to do either of those things. God designs us to have a day of rest. And if you're not doing that well, if you're playing too much or you're going too much and you don't have some window of time, prefer preferentially a 24-hour window where you are just chilling, then you will pay for it. You will pay physically, you will pay emotionally, you will often pay spiritually. You need to understand Sabbath principle and just chill out. And this is the perfect kind of Sunday afternoon to go home, cut off the lights, put on your PJs and chill out. Rest for a little bit, unplug for a while. I think we should be doing that with everything, including technology. But a couple of times we've heard scholars say, well, this seems to contradict, the order's different. No, 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 no. Listen to the Bible knowledge commentary. I couldn't say it better, so I just wrote it down. The second chapter of Genesis presupposes the first. The differences are complementary and supplementary, not contradictory. What you're gonna find as we unpack this is exactly what I'm trying to explain on the front end. And I was trying to think of a visual. What would be a visual for this? And so Jesse, our lead videographer, helped me out with a Google Earth video, and, and he made a little 10-second clip for you to kind of think, okay, what is God doing here? God is actually showing us the earth as he formed the heavens and the earth, and then God is zooming us in. Now watch this. We're not gonna zoom in to Eden, um, but we are gonna zoom in somewhere. So watch this little clip. Y'all recognize that? I've noticed all you East Tennessee folks say this is God's country, so I agree with you too, actually. That's our church. Now, that's not live because the parking lot has a lot more going on than that. But what we're doing in chapter two and what we're doing in the coming weeks is we are taking the big picture and we're just zooming in. We're just coming in to see, and so we're looking at how God got us here? How did the Lord bring us here? And there's this repeated emphasis on God doing it. God blessed, God made, God created. In fact, even in verse four, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Lord God, we're introduced to the covenant name, Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh. Some of y'all have been um, hearing about this popular move on social media about what that actually means, and it can't be said, and it's actually breath. I'll come back to that in a second. But Yahweh is the most significant name for God in the Old Testament. 
It appears 6,823 times, and it refers to God being the self-existent, active one. It's related to the Hebrew verb to be. When Moses asked God, who will I tell the people of Israel sent me? God met him at the burning bush and said, go back. You need to go to Pharaoh. You need to release my people. They're in bondage. They've cried to me. I've heard their cry. Moses said, but, but Lord, who sent me? Who will I say has sent me? And he said, you tell them, I am that I am. I am sent you, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, or in the Hebrew, yod heh And again, I'll come back in just a moment to that. But we find that here in five and six, it's just setting the stage for man. There's no rain yet. There's a vapor canopy. Remember what I told you. God made this earth, and then he began to separate things vertically and then horizontally. So he separated the earthly water from the heavenly water what we would think of as atmosphere, and there's this canopy of water, there's a mist, there's a type of tropical or subtropical climate encircling the earth, which I believe continues until the flood, by the way. Most creation scientists believe this. And so what you find is this canopy, so God's separating, and then God skips a lot of details. God doesn't worry about repeating all of the details, but then he hones in and he says, look, I'm not, I, I did this, now, he's going to make all the plants and all the other animals, but then he's going to come right into focus with, I'm going to now form or fashion a man. I'm going to form or fashion a man. And in fact, the Hebrew word is yostar. It's the beginning of verse 7. If you were to read it in Hebrew, it actually starts with this, that God formed, he fashioned man. Reminds me of Jeremiah 18, 6. It says, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. That Hebrew word is of a great artisan, meticulously molding and shaping. And then, of course, what does he do? He formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, I know there's a common thing online right now. It actually came out years ago, and it's recirculating today, and it's about God's name is breath. Uh, no, <laughs> it's just not accurate. So if you put that out on social media and say, this is so cool, every time we breathe, we're saying God's name. Number one, uh, Hebrew is quite guttural, so if really saying the name of God was your breath, you'd sound like... <laughs> Darth Vader, kind of. <laughs> and you don't want to sound like you've got an asthma attack worshiping the Lord, okay? Number two, the, the argument is, well, these are all consonants, and they're, you, they, they're consonants that cannot be heard. That's not true. yod heh can be heard. You can say them. I just said them, yod heh And so you can say them. And the, number three is that there were no vowels in any ancient Hebrew, not just the name of God. Ancient Hebrew was only consonants, read from right to left. Later, the Masoretes, a group of people pointed it and put vowel points in it. Later, the etymology continued and they put actual vowels where we would get things like Jehovah. But it's just not accurate to say we breathe the name of God. No, we don't. Because Orthodox Jews wouldn't dare utter the name of God. The name of God was actually breath. And there are a few quasi quirky rabbis out there that have said it's like breathing. It's not. Quit perpetuating this fuzzy feeling stuff. The reality is that God formed or fashioned man, I wrote it like this, like a potter shaping the clay. Is that up there? Yeah. God formed and fashioned us, and the word for man is the word for ground, Adama. What's interesting is the name Adam is the name ground, earth, clay. That's where we get his name, Adam, Adam, Adama. 
And so God is shaping, and then yes, God is breathing. It's not his name, but God is breathing into this inanimate object that he has made. I'll show it to you like this if I can. I tried to think, how can I show this? And I couldn't come up with anything better, so I'm gonna show you this little thing right here. This is one of Miss Lucy's favorite toys. It was especially one of her favorites when she was really small. It is dum, da, dum, a Christmas hunting deer. And um, let me get a microphone. It's one of her favorite things that she likes to press the foot, and it's a cool deer. Now, listen, if you can't speak redneck, you're not gonna understand what he sings. So I'm gonna translate for you in just a moment. But check this out. It even bumps up against a little Pat Benatar. So this is her favorite thing. Now I want you to think about this. Somebody made this. I give you one guess as to where it was made. But anyway, it was made, now watch. I don't know where the sound's coming out. Well, you're a real tough hunter with a long history. So you're a real tough hunter with a long history of shooting animals and little deer like me. But that's okay, because I ain't dead yet. Ready, take aim, and try again, you redneck. Hit me with your best shot. That's pretty cool, right? I love this little thing. The problem is, I know if you're offended, he's holding a rifle and all. It's okay. Get over it. He's delicious. So listen, or his, his real counterparts. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. At Christmas time, just before Christmas, when we want to bring this little guy out, actually, she plays with it year-round, but he wasn't quite up to his normal self. In fact, he wasn't doing this as much. He was kind of going, hit me with your best shot. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, of course, a two-year-old looks at that and thinks he's dying, but what do I know? No, I know he's got this little box in his back, right? And I know what he needs is a new set of double A's in there. And as soon as he gets those, now, you say, well, why in the world would you tell us all of that? Well, I tell you that because here's the deal. You know this. Someone made this. I'm sure a machine or whatever, and then other people put parts on and stitched. But it wouldn't do anything without the batteries. The batteries are what energized it to be animate, right? Think about the little energizer bunny. Well, in an infinitely greater way. God formed and fashioned you and me. Now, let me go back to the last two weeks. When God formed you and fashioned you, he made you exactly the way he wanted to. He did not make any mistakes. He made you in just the right way. There could be anomalies. There could have been issues with you, genetically or otherwise. There could have been, but that's the nature of sin in us that has affected the way that human DNA has moved in time. And so the genetic curse, if you will, well, that's by sin, not by God. But the reality is God made you as he wanted you. God then breathed into you. He energized you. Now, it's not just to make you animate, to give you life, but God gave you will, volition. God gave you emotion. God gave you reason. God gave you spiritual capacity to know him and worship him. And God gave you, of course, life to move and truly be animate. But God breathed into us. God energized us. And the thing is, the Bible says that the breath of life is a great gift from the Lord, distinguishing us 
This imago dei in particular distinguishes us in a very unique way. But you say, but why does that matter to me? Why does that matter? 227.22. So what? What difference does it make in my life if God made me? Well, think about this. God breathed into us the breath of life. Now, granted, we're not made in exactly the same way as Adam and Eve, but the Bible does say in Jeremiah that God knit us together in our mother's womb. So even from that moment of conception when sperm and egg unite and a series of dynamic explosions begin and exponential growth and it's a miracle of God, from the moment of conception, God is breathing into you the breath of life. The problem is that we, like our first parents, have chosen to sin. Every person in this room old enough understands that you are a sinner. You understand that your sin separates you from a holy, perfect God. But God desires a relationship with you, so there must be a new inbreathing of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says it means to be born again. He made you, he fashioned you, he formed you, he breathed into you the breath of life, meaning you're eternal. Unlike the animal kind, you're eternal. But now you must be breathed into again, born again by the spirit of the living God. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you. God made all of this to give you a very good world. He wants a relationship with you. And when he renews this world, and I did say this world, when God renews it and we return to paradise, we call it heaven, God is going to show us I have wanted a relationship all along. Now, look, God brought Cindy and I together over 27 years ago. Marriage is a picture of the gospel of Christ and his church. And out of that covenant relationship of marriage, God blessed us with a baby girl. That when we put some names in a hat and pulled them out, we both loved Heather. We loved Heather Page. I don't know why. I don't think we have any other Heathers in the fan, but we both loved Heather Page. And so God granted us a Heather. And then, about four years later, God granted us a holly, a.k.a. Hurricane Holly, or we call her Oosie Boosie. I don't know where Oosie Boosie came from, but she's our little Oosie, and she still is. She just celebrated her 22nd birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, baby girl. And so right now, she's dating a boy that's overseas serving our armed forces, and she's got wedding bells ringing in her head right now. And he's going to have something ringing in his head if he's not good to my little girl. But so far, so good. And so she's very excited. And then, uh, of course, about four years after that, God brought a sweet little Hannah. He's not big as a minute, but our little Hannah is a junior over here at the school. And every one of those, as God made them, he created them with eternity in their hearts. They're eternal beings. And I'm so grateful to say they all know and love the Lord and serve the Lord in many capacities. And then, of course, about a year and a half, 19 months after that, God gave us little Bobby, who is not so little anymore. I don't know if he's in the room, but he's not so little. He's still not as big as his daddy, and I can whoop him if I need to. But he is our, our boy. He's almost 16, and he loves the Lord. He loves sports. He loves GCA. And there's a relationship there. And then it's hard to believe, but 10 years ago, just over in 2011, there was a floppy-headed teenage boy that came in my office and asked permission to date my daughter. And after I finished writing his name on a bullet and showing it to him, I gave Parker permission to start dating my daughter, never knowing that five years later I'd be giving her to him as his wife. They were married five years ago in 2017. And then two years ago, of course, I, pro- I haven't told them this yet. Y'all don't even know. We have a granddaughter named Lucy. I haven't mentioned her. Um, 
two years ago, the Lord blessed Heather and Parker and, and they, they gave, gave the family Lucy. As the family grows and the relationships are there and then God showed them how blessed East Tennessee is and brought them here last summer. And you know, all of these things are family growth, born. You're born into this family. You're born into the Lewis or now Levesey family. You're born into this family. And as a matter of fact, uh, Miss Lucy wanted to show you guys something. I decided to video her on our back porch because I didn't want to, I didn't take, want to take a chance with a two-year-old right now. But put up that picture of her. So that's our, our porch last week and, and uh, overlooking Melton Hill there. And then Miss Lucy's got some on her T-shirt she wants to show you guys this morning. So we'll roll the clip. Hey, what do you know? What do you know? All right. So... Y'all understand what that means, right? Heather and Parker have been big, biblical, all right, that's okay, fulfilling the command to be fruitful and multiply. And so now, um, from January, they told us the first week of January, and we've been biting our tongue, ready to tell everybody, but they've gotten a couple of really good ultrasounds and really good news, and um, uh, so now Lucy calls this one Baby Tiny. That's she, she and I'm helping her with the ukulele, and she's helping me with some little stringed instrument. I don't know what it is, but we were playing uh, last week, and so this relationship, this family continues to grow. You say, well, what's the point of all that? The point is this. God makes no mistakes. You see, little Lucy, I told you she just has one kidney, right? But God made no mistakes in that. God creates us the way he wants us to be for his glory. And God's put baby tiny. That's what Lucy calls. Now, I, she's happy right now. I don't know if she's going to be happy when you have the baby or not. That could be a whole other issue y'all have to live through. But I know she's happy right now. And yet last night we took some photos for them of her kissing mommy's belly. And by the way, Heather's wired a lot like me, as I told him in the first service. Ladies, it's fine to be sweet, but gentlemen, don't touch her belly, right, Parker? It's just creepy. Um, we had some guys in our first church that, for whatever reason, thought it was okay to touch Cindy's belly when she was pregnant. It is not. She is still my wife, and that is my daughter, hands off. Okay, so that being the disclaimer, that being the disclaimer. We are blessed as a family, though, to see new birth. And it's such a joy to think about you pouring into your kids. Your kids love the Lord. Now they're pouring into their kids. And any of you that are multi-generation in your family, you know this joy. Well, think about it. God relates to us as our heavenly father. And he says, if you want to live in my paradise, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And next week, I'm going to unpack that just a little bit further. But I'm going to move to communion in this. Why? Did Jesus Christ come to this earth, live a perfect life? Why did he take the nails that belonged in my hand? Why did he take the thorns that belonged on my brow? Why did he take the stripes that belonged on my back? Why did he do all of that? Why did he taste death for me and for you? Why did he do that? Because he said, I want you to be born again. As God breathed into you the breath of life, I want the Holy Spirit now to breathe into you the renewed breath of life. And I want you to be born again, to have a real relationship with me. He made us for relationship. And so what I want us to do is I want us to ponder that as we prepare our hearts for communion. Jesus said that as often as we did this, we did this in remembrance of him. On the night he was betrayed at the conclusion of the feast of the Passover, our Lord took the bread and the cup and created something wonderful and new out of the Passover tradition. 
He reminded them as he took the unleavened bread, he blessed it and then break it. He reminded them that there once was a sacrificial lamb. That's what they celebrate and remember in Passover. They remember not only the lamb, but the unleavened bread. They remember God's deliverance. They remember how God brought them out of bondage. And Jesus is trying to say, I am the bread of life. And just like Isaiah the prophet would tell us, the Messiah, and we'll show you the pictures, would be bruised and striped and pierced. Jesus held up that piece of unleavened bread and he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. And he blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. So if you would please take your cup and if you'll turn it to the bread up and you just get that little wafer ready. And as I pray, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 that a man is called, a woman is called to examine him or herself. That we are called for a moment of self-examination to say, number one, Lord, am I born again? Have I truly trusted Christ as Lord and Savior? If I am born again, have I kept a short account of sin? Am I obeying 1 John 1, 9 that says, if I sin and I am called to confess that sin, then God will be faithful and just to forgive that sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness? I know Jesus cleared our sin, past, present, and future. But God wants us to stay close and clean, confessed up, so that we come to the Lord's table with humility in a worthy manner, saying, God, you breathed into me the breath of life. You gave me physical life. By your spirit, you have breathed into me uh, a lot, being born again, new life in Christ. And I have received that. And any time I come to the table, I recognize that it is by the sacrifice of Jesus that I have this life. So as I pray, you examine yourself. Bow with me. Father in heaven, of course all of us would like to say thank you for being born. We couldn't be here. We couldn't hear this. We couldn't process. We couldn't enjoy this life. But I also want to go to the next step and say thank you for allowing those in Christ to be born again that the Holy Spirit has come to live within, and that in being born again, it's of nothing we have done, nothing we could ever deserve, but purely through the sacrifice of Christ, his broken body, his shed blood, it is by his once for all sacrifice that we can have a relationship with you. And that relationship didn't start in John 3, it started in Genesis 1. We see that you've made us with a plan and a purpose for your glory and our good, to enjoy this creation and to enjoy eternity with one another and our Lord. And so we do this in remembrance, with gratitude in our hearts, first examining ourselves to make sure that we are ready, not because we deserve it, but because Christ is fully worthy, in whose name we pray, amen. So Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. We read in John's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus teaching his followers, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, speaking of his body. He said, not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. You'll flip your cup and carefully remove the top section to reveal the juice. On that same night, 
our Lord took the cup. Having blessed it, he passed it around. And he said, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. It's shed for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, not only for the broken body, but also the shed blood. We learn from the writer of Hebrews that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness because life is in the blood. And so while this juice symbolically represents the blood of Christ, we realize that it was shed not only to cover sin, as the Old Testament animals would do, but his blood was shed to cleanse us from sin. Thank you for that beautiful privilege of being in the family of God, of having a relationship, just like my kids were given to me to be in my family, and and these grandchildren are a blessing, even baby tiny. We don't even know his or her gender yet, but we, we know that this little one is a gift. And as we rejoice in that, so too we should rejoice with every little one born into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for desiring relationship with us and making a way through the blood of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. We read in 1 John chapter one, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's said on the night of our Lord's betrayal at the conclusion of the feast of the Passover, they sang a hymn. They went out then to the Mount of Olives. And so what we're going to do is if you would stand with me, we're going to sing together. I believe we're gonna do Amazing Grace, one of my favorites of all time. I'm gonna ask you to pray for a few things. Number one, if you need to be born again and you're uncertain, I would like you to come. Particularly, I'd like you to come where Cindy and I are uh, just after the official service is over, the invitation continues. Come to where we are and tell us. We have pastors and counselors ready to help you be born again. Born once won't cut it. I'm gonna talk about that next week. You've got to be born again. Let the Holy Spirit breathe into you. Now, if you are a child of God, then would you please Do us the honor of praying. Would you please consider praying for the dear people of Ukraine? The sweet people. I remember, it feels like yesterday, but it was 20 years ago, standing and proclaiming God's word in a bombed out movie theater. It was packed. It had several hundred people in. We even took communion together that day. And I remember the sound, although I didn't understand the language. They were part Ukrainian, part Russian in dialect then. They've moved much more toward Ukrainian today. But I remember the sound. I remember speaking in the pastor's conference, and I was leading some music at that time. And I remember being inundated. Brother Bill, I was telling you, I got surrounded by Ukrainian pastors after the first session. It's funny, because I'm just a little peon, nobody PhD student. All these doctors and everything are over here, these big theological minds. But the pastors swarmed me because they knew I had something to do with worship in America. And they said, pastor, pastor, help us. And I said, with what? They said, we've got to know how do you keep your old people and your young people happy? They were watching American worship. And if you'll recall 20 years ago in particular, there were major worship wars. It's gotta be contemporary, it's gotta be traditional, it's gotta be this, it's gotta be that. And I said, oh dear brothers, you're asking the wrong question. You'll never make everyone happy. How do we keep the Lord happy? How do we put a smile on God's face? Because if it's old, fine. If it's new, fine. But as long as it is of the word of God, it will put a smile on the face of God. So don't worry about the secondary matters. Now, can you imagine a country that was only 11 years removed from communism, worried about worship style? Those dear sweet people 
are some of the kindest, godliest people I've ever had the privilege of serving and worshiping with. That was there about nine or 10 days in Kiev, in the capital, or Kiev as they prefer in Ukrainian. The point is this, they need our prayers. You also have my word as Kevin and I have talked last week. God has been so good to us through our Grace Global Outreach and our ministry. If you would like to support the work, I would encourage you to give through Grace Go. Some people ask me between the service. We will try to find one of our local partners and designate as quickly as we can help on the ground. We just need to make sure we do it in the right way to the right people at the right time. But we're not gonna just watch, we're gonna help in any way that we can. Would you pray for those that are there? If you have a heart for this and you just wanna pray that God would protect them physically and spiritually, if you just wanna come on this holy day to this holy altar and lift this holy prayer, that God would protect these precious people. I don't understand all of the ins and outs of this invasion, this invasion but I do know that innocent people are losing their lives and we as the people of God should be prayer warriors at a time like this. So as I pray, if you feel inclined, please come. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our sweet friends, our sweet Ukrainian brothers and sisters. I can't imagine waking up to bombs. I can't imagine our city being under siege. And, and I don't claim to know anything about the ins and outs of the politics, but I do know that there are people's lives on the line. And I just pray, Lord, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that since we know the Prince of Peace, we can call on the Prince of Peace to bring peace into the chaos. Lord, we certainly don't want to move toward another great war. We don't want to see the shedding of innocent blood. And God, help us to remember that wherever our foots tread is not just part of a country. It is yours to begin with. Every step we will ever take is on something you created. And so God, I pray for those there and I pray for us. I thank you for bringing our Honduras team back to us safely and for the work accomplished last week. I pray that we would be a church who doesn't just say that we care, but we're gonna put feet to prayer and we're gonna give substantial gifts that will help people where they are at the point of need. Thank you for what you're doing even now as we come to gather in prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.